The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports. The where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. Why don't we is another exciting week of Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective here on Voice America Sports. And as always, I am joined by my, my, my host, my co-host, who has a lot of enthusiasm, who is finding himself in the boonies somewhere. As you can tell, listen to him right now. He's always fired up, and I love it, and I appreciate it. We have a great show for you today. Uh, you're going to hear from uh, Barry Switzer, former head coach, of the Dallas Cowboys, the last head coach to take them to the Super Bowl and the playoffs. Also, we'll be joined by Cameron Wise, agent for Sam, Michael Sam, uh, and we'll get his take on where he figures that his client is going to go. Also, we'll hear from Heinz Heiser down in Hot Atlanta, who covers both the Hawks and the Atlanta Falcons, the surprising Hawks, uh, as it may be. But Mario, let's, you know what? I had a chance real quick before uh, we, we started talking about NFL football. But last night I watched uh, the Houston Rockets take on the Portland Trailblazers. And if anyone watched this game last night, it seemed as though in the onset of the game that Dwight Howard was going to submit himself and he was going to be a dominant force inside the post. But I guess someone forgot to give the memo to LaMarcus Aldridge of the Portland Trailblazers. I mean, he went for 40 in the first game and 40-plus in the second game. Can they stop him? Like, to quote the fabulous uh, Shannon Sharp, my former teammate, they need to bring in the Army, the National Guard, DEPCON 1, to stop LaMarcus Aldridge because he is going off. And wait, let me check. He just scored again. <laughs> hey, Nick, you know how it is, man. If you get hot, you stay hot. Right now, LaMarcus Aldridge is by far the hottest player in these NBA playoffs. They're not going to slow him down. The only way to do it, get back to the old school Pistons. you got to beat him up. Unfortunately, Beverly, <laughs> the dude for the Rockets that beat up on Westbrook last year, he's right. gone, man. They got nobody that can rough up LaMarcus Aldridge. So unless they start contesting shots, Stop giving him these open jumpers because he is hitting them. And you get physical with them, the Trailblazers are going to run away with this series. They might sweep the rocket. You know what? There, there are some people down in Houston who really don't want to hear because when you think about 
uh, Houston sports collectively. You think about the Astros. You think about the Texans. Now you're talking about the Rockets. There's a lot of expectation that you come in with every year as a team, as a player, and as a fan. But, I mean, to be swept, to lose two games on your home floor, and now you have to go to Portland, and now you have to make a run, maybe win three in a row. I don't think it happens. And there's a lot of disappointment right now in Houston. You had to at least win one of those games, Nick. I mean, you can't open up a playoff series. You know, your team is on the brink. You get the crybaby Dwight Howard in the offseason, and he's supposed to make all the difference. You know, and then you got, you got Harden, who's the score, and everything's kind of coming together for Houston. They were the dark horse last season. They're finally a contender now, and they're throwing it all the way. And you know what, Nick, to be perfectly honest, the Blazers are a better team. They just didn't, I mean, look at what they did at the beginning of the season. They kind of tailed off. They were one of my favorites coming out of the Western Conference, mostly because of Aldridge and Damian Lillard. I love these two together, and Aldridge can't be stopped right now, as we already talked about. So this Houston Rockets team, they're going to get swept, and then the fans are going to have to resort back to baseball, and we know how that's going for them. Yeah, we know how that's going, but what would that say about, for James Harden, Jeremy Lamb, but more importantly, Dwight Howard. You leave L.A. because now you say you wanted to go to Houston, a team that would give you an opportunity. I mean, a great opportunity to go to the finals and win an NBA championship. But right now, what I'm seeing on the floor, you know, and, and when, I, when I watch uh, TNT, you know, Shaq was big on this whole hashtag barbecue chicken. I'll tell you what, Dwight Howard and the Houston Rockets look like a whole bunch of bubblegum shrimp right about now. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> you know what? I'm starting to think that Dwight Howard might be blacklisted by the NBA gods, Nick. I mean, when he was in Orlando, that was the closest he got to an NBA championship. They made it all the way to the finals, lost in the finals. Dwight Howard was a completely different player back then because he put the team on his back. Then everything just imploded for him. He got too big for his britches, as you might say down there in the South. And wanted out, got into L.A. He got exactly what he wanted. And then he wanted out of that. That wasn't good enough because he saw the Lakers starting to implode. Now, Nick, we are seeing the Rockets implode. No matter where Dwight Howard goes, the team falls apart. It's because he has a lack of heart, a lack of effort. He wants somebody else to pick up the pace. He's not a leader. Is he a top three, top five, maybe even the best center in the game right now? Yeah, you could argue that, but he has no heart. He has no determination. He's not the guy that's going to put the team on his back anymore. That was the Orlando Dwight Howard. That Dwight Howard is dead. Well, let's talk to and bring someone in who knows something about championships and the South. Barry Switzer, you know him from University of Oklahoma, and the last coach to take Big D to not just the Super Bowl, but to the playoffs, Coach Swisher, thank you for joining us. Nick, how are you today? I am doing wonderful, Coach. Listen, you know, we're a couple of weeks away from the draft, and right now uh, a lot of fans had an opportunity about a week ago to go out and watch the Hollywood version of what happens in the draft, right? And that was draft day. Now, you take us behind closed doors and let us know, the listeners know, what takes place in that war room when you're trying to decide which guy you want to draft? Well, first of all, Nick, you spend days and weeks uh, 
uh, many hours determining who your, what your draft board is, the evaluation of your scouts and meetings and uh, your coaches, the evaluation of the same players in the draft. And uh, we set our board. It takes uh, quite a few days uh, and weeks to do that. And you're always changing it and the evaluation of it. And so, therefore, you know, once the draft day comes, you're, you're, you feel good about your board. You don't know what everyone else's board's like, but it's pretty well like the same uh, around the league in the first three rounds. Because right. I watched the, for four years at Dallas, as the people are picked and go off the board, it makes you have a, if you've got the 30th second pick, and you're the last in the draft, which means you're in the Super Bowl. They won the Super Bowl. You all feel pretty good about that. But it makes you feel better about your evaluation as your coaches and, and your draft people, your scouts, if everybody comes off the board the time it comes your pick. And everyone, no one's left. If there's about 10 people left up there on the board in front of your thirty-two, or your 32nd pick, hey, right. you're, you're, you've probably done a poor evaluation because uh, – in the in the drafts and past, the board comes clean in the first three. I think around the league, everybody first three rounds is probably lined up the same. Maybe someone's out of place two or three. But what goes on in there is basically waiting our turn, seeing what's going around the league. The phone is ringing, and much more when it comes time for our pick. Uh, people are talking trades uh, 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 for opportunity to have that pick. Uh, a lot of things going on, wheeling, dealing. Jerry's the ones involved in that, him and Stephen, because uh, they're the ones that signed the check. But as right. uh, far as evaluating <laughs> a talent and uh, setting the board, uh, Jerry had nothing, nothing to do with that. He doesn't do anything in regard to knowing what is the first-round pick, the second-round pick, the third-round pick on your board, or the 50th pick on your board. So it's left up to the coaches and scouts, which it should be, and I think it's a way in every draft for him. Well, when you talk about Jerry Jones, and we know that seldom uh, does uh, the, inter- the owners in the NFL, they, they own the team, and they are the GM at the same time. Have you ever in your tenure with the Cowboys found yourself, you wanted, you wanted a certain player, but Jerry didn't want, want that particular player? Have you, did you find yourself in that situation? You know, I, I didn't, I, you know I'm traveling right now, Nick, and I'm on the road, uh, uh, and I, of course, I didn't hear, I catch some of what you said, but you're asking about Jerry's role, dual role, of, uh, general manager and owner of the team. Yes. Uh, well, you know, uh, Herschel Walker, I read in the USA Today, I, I love Herschel. Herschel's a good man, and we had him at the Cowboys. You know, obviously the Cowboys traded him with the Vikings and got a lot of picks, built a great team dynasty because of that in the 90s with those draft choices. But, uh, Herschel, uh, other than the comment he made that he thought he could play again today, even at 52, but <laughs> he, he commented that Jerry was a terrible general manager, and but a great owner. Well, mm-hmm. I I agree with him, uh, and to a certain extent, you know, Jerry plays the role of a general manager, but not in in the draft room uh, and picking and talent. You know, mm-hmm. he, he he's not the one that makes the picks. He doesn't set the board. He doesn't evaluate. You know, he's never really coached, and uh, he doesn't watch players every day like uh, these guys have coached all their lives. And uh, you know, so obviously, it's uh, you know, if the board is set wrong and they don't draft right, you know, held the, the scouts and the, and the coaches have probably got more to do with it than Jerry has. But right. uh, and uh, but 
you know, I, I like Jerry. Jerry and I got along fine. He was never an interference to me. I think the media is tough on him in that way. But uh, to me, Jerry and I had a great relationship. He, he told me when I went to the Cowboys, that 120 yards long, that 53 and a third wide is mine. He won't interfere with that, and he never did. So uh, he never tells you who to play, offenses, defenses to run, uh, plays to put in, what plays to call. So it's uh, totally uh, left up to coaching staff. But I, you know, he's going to always be criticized as long as they don't have success. But let me tell you this. What other owner in this length of time has won three Super Bowls? You know, I, I think he's the only one's Jerry, isn't it? It's how many Kraft won? Yes, very true. Very, very, very true. Go ahead, Mario. Mario Batanzi here. Real quick, uh, Coach, it's no surprise what you feel about Johnny Menzel and your opinions on him, but I will ask you this. I mean, do you see him succeeding in a certain system, or do you think that his blatant arrogance will be ultimately his downfall? I mean, is this something, like, is it just uh, 15 minutes of fame where he's letting it go to his head because he's a celebrity down at Texas A&M, he's the most popular college football player right now? Is this something that's going to wear off in the NFL, or is, do you think this is going to be ultimately his downfall? Well, let me, let me tell you, everybody, my opinion, I don't think he's held up the the – being a Heisman Trophy winner, I don't think he's conducted himself that uh, in, in a way. And I'm not going to go into that. I've already covered that pretty well. And as a, a representative of the Heisman or his school or his family and the, his team at the universities, he's embarrassed them. And we all know that. But let's, go, let's move forward to his talent. I have seen Michael Jordan take control of basketball games. I've seen, I saw uh, my day, I'm old enough to say that I saw Oscar Robinson play college. I saw him take control of basketball games, so I'm doing pro. Let me tell you something. I have never thought and I would ever see a quarterback that could take control of a football game and put up the numbers that he does. And I, I, I think he's the most dynamic quarterback that I have seen in college football in a long, long, long time. I don't know who I've seen better. I really don't. I mean, who puts up the numbers that he has against the competition that he's put it up against? And uh, I, I said the Texans, ought to, even after I said the negative things I said about Johnny Manziel, I said, if I was the Texans, I'd take the guy number one. Because I think he's not a – don't think of him as a running quarterback. Let me tell you, he's bigger right now at being drafted than Russell Wilson was, who just won a Super Bowl. And he's True. probably, a, I know, is a better runner than Wilson if he has to run. He doesn't want to run the football till you make him run. If you four-man rush him, he's going to hold the ball. He's oblivious to it until you reach out to touch him. Then he disappears. Then when he jumps on the open field, people can't get a hold of the guy. He has tremendous quickness. He, he knows where everybody is, and he can deliver the ball from any position. A body has in any position. I, I just marvel at his abilities and talents. And uh, I think he can be a successful quarterback in a system which throws the ball 30, 40 times a ball game. And spread offense, uh, whether you're uh, one back set or empty. I think the guy is a, a, a tremendous talent. But uh, he's going to have to have the right coach, the right offensive coordinator to work with him. And he'll mature. I think the guy was, is a competitor, and I think he wants to prove everybody wrong that he can play in this league. And uh, I think he's got a chance to be an outstanding football player. Well, Coach Swisher, before we let you get out of here real quickly, uh, you talked about quarterbacks and you talked about Johnny Menzel and all his uh, tangibles and intangibles, but there's another quarterback 
that's in Big D, and that's Tony Romo. And Jerry Jones gave him a significant amount of cash, but yet he, he has he been able to get them to the promised land. With everything you said about Johnny Manziel, when you look at Tony Romo, what is it that you see, and do you think the Cowboys, or this is the year that the Cowboys actually get over that hurdle? Well, first of all, last year was, was an anomaly. I, I think uh, you, you look at uh, you know, they had 17 different, Defensive different linemen played on the front force a unit of their defense. Uh, it, it's uh, they had so many injuries. They've got to have a defense. Uh, obviously, the, the, any offense in the league, you still win with uh, your defense, and uh, any team wins with a great defense. And uh, this league, and it just still doesn't. It's never going to change. And uh, you know, I don't know how good Tony Romo is. I really don't. I mean, he's a hit and miss a lot of times. But he's got a quick arm, quick feet, quick release. Uh, he does some good things, and you know, obviously, we've seen him do some bad things. But you know, he just—they're not as talented. People say we need you back in Dallas. I laugh. I said, no. What you're saying to me, you need my players that I had and coached back in the prime <laughs> back in Dallas. You don't need me. You need them. And uh, he doesn't have the talent that I had when I was at Dallas. Well, ten seconds, Coach Switzer. It's a sixteen-game season. What, at the end of 2014-15 season, what do you project the record would be for the Dallas Cowboys? I have no idea. I don't get in projection records. You know, obviously, uh, they've been kind of average. And, uh, you know, I, I don't see them. Uh, hopefully, they're better than that. Hopefully, they can get in the playoffs. You know, but, uh, you know, they got to go play it make it happen. Well, thank you, Coach Swiss, for joining you us. Man. And, Enjoy and safe travels. Thank you, you so much, Coach. Thank you, guys. And I did what you wanted. Thank you, sir. All right. All right. God bless. That was Barry Switzer, the last coach yet again, and I repeat that, the last coach to lead the Dallas Cowboys to a Super Bowl and the playoff. Let's see if the current regime can do that. After the break, we'll talk to Cameron Wise and Hans Heiser to figure out what's going on in the NFL. You're listening to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. We'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. 
Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. So, so while we went to break, Mario and I had a chance to uh, dissect the NFC East, and he threw his projections out there, bold predictions, let's go ahead and get them out there, and he said the Washington Redskins would win that division because look who they have, Pierre Garçon, they added uh, Deshaun Jackson, but I said to him, you know, au contraire, Moufrère, pump your brakes for a second. Oh, what? As long as the Washington Redskins have D'Angelo Hall in the secondary, (laughs) the opposition always has an opportunity to score unless... You're Jay Cutler and the Chicago Bears. That's a whole different story. <laughs> hey, hey, and here's and here's the thing, Nick. If, if I might share this, I asked you if you were friends with D'Angelo, and you said I could never be friends with someone that's that mean. So I will like and, and Nick, like I said, I, I sing your praises all the time on this show, and it's right? not just you know a bias thing. <laughs> but if you, who is one of the nicest people I've ever met, can't get along with somebody, then there must be something seriously wrong with them. Well, you know, here's the thing. It's not that he he's mean. I'm sure he's a, he's a good person. But on the field, I can't deal with me guys. You know, it's all about me. Normally, that's the prima donna position of the wide receiver. But now you've seen a lot of DBs kind of get into that act as well. Even Richard Sherman said himself that, hey, listen, what I did last year uh, in, in that, you know, divisional game against Crabtree and the 49ers, what I said, I, not, I'm not going to say that I want to take it back. But at the same time, one cannot build themselves up by putting others down. Now, I agree with that. But when I look at Sherman and I look at D'Angelo Hall, I still see two different individuals, even though they play the same position. That's true. You know, and and here's the thing, man. Real quick, and then we'll we'll get off of Sherman because I know he's a a hot topic for talking. He does back it up. So that's what you can say about him. But he had, you know, he strung together a couple of great years. But how was what he did any different than what Darrell Revis did at the beginning of his career before he got hurt? I mean, is, is it going to be one of those things where he's good and then he starts to figure out? You always think that, oh, they'll figure out the quarterback. They'll figure out the receiver. You can figure out the tendency of a corner as well, Mr. Ferguson. So only time will tell if he's able to consistently back up Trash talk, and the, from the football god's perspective, if we know anything about karma, he will not, because look where Chad Ochocinco is now, trying to make it on for a Canadian football team. Wait a minute, did you just compare Chad Ochocinco and Richard Sherman? Hey man, Chad Ochocinco backed up his talk for a very, he backed up his talk longer than Richard Sherman did, Nick. He was a little more outlandish, yeah, obviously. He and T.O. had their own show, for goodness sakes. 
But yeah, I am comparing the two because I'm saying it was a guy that talked too much but backed it up. So people really couldn't say anything. And then what happened the very second, Nick, that right. Sad Ocho Cinco was not able to back it up, all hell was unleashed and everything collapsed in on him. So we'll see. He seems like, well, like Richard Sherman seems a little less altruistic than Chad Ochocinco did. Well, I'll tell you what, to, to quote well the great, the great Nino Brown, you know, money talks and we always know what everything else does. But you know what? Uh, yesterday, uh, the NFL opened up with its uh, release of its 2014 schedule. And I have to tell you, I mean, there are some teams that, as I look at it, that's going to have a hard stretch. Those Denver Broncos that, you know, we, we both love uh, so much, week 9 through 11, the, at the Patriots, at the Raiders, and at the Rams. And I can tell you this as a former player. The one thing we used to do when the schedule would come out, to me, I would take a black pen, a red pen, and a highlighter. Now, in the highlighter, I would highlight all the games that I figured that we would win, I would use that red pen to circle those cold weather games because you don't want to be in Buffalo, you don't want to be in Chicago, and you definitely don't want to be in Green Bay in the month of November mm-hmm. and December. You, you, you definitely don't. And then I would take that black pen and, and put an asterisk by maybe a team or somebody that might have rubbed me the wrong way, didn't even maybe devalued me as a player. So I knew right there, we're playing that team. So I'm going to check it. I'm going to put an asterisk. I'm going to circle it. I'm going to put some gold, gold stars next to it because when I play in that game, I have something to prove to them, and I want them to eat their words. So that's how I look at the schedule. When you look at the schedule and you look at the Broncos' schedule, how, how do you see and how many games do you think that the Broncos would actually win? This is a very, very difficult schedule, especially for a team coming off of Super Bowl appearance. There have been talks that, you know, some people think they're going to win 10 games. Some people think they're going to be even better than last year. Here's the thing, man. Opening up against the Colts at home, we know how Peyton Manning reacted when he was avenging a loss in last year's season opener. And so anyone thinks that the Colts are going to hang around in this game, they are sorely mistaken. Let some... Some unforeseen injury happens. You can never predict that. But again, you're going to have Reggie Wayne, who is not going to be the same Reggie Wayne. When you tear your ACL that late into your career, you're never going to be the receiver that you once were. Um, but the Colts are coming in here. I think that's a win. The big game that I really have a hard time seeing the Broncos win is, and I hate to say this, and it pains me and it hurts me deeply, but in <laughs> Seattle, because they simply do not lose in Seattle. And you really hope as a fan that the Broncos did enough on the defensive side to compete with the Seahawks team to be as aggressive and as nasty as them. But they don't have a middle linebacker right now, Nick. Some of the players have said, you know, who we got there is good, but I'm not buying it. They didn't have a true middle linebacker last year. They tried to put Woodyard in the middle. It didn't work because he's a true outside linebacker, wasn't built for it. You know, and then the injuries just kept piling up. So I don't see them beating the Seahawks. I don't see them beating the 49ers at home unless everybody on that team gets arrested and, you know, they're unable to post bail. And, uh, you know, I could see them losing to maybe the Chiefs or the Chargers once. I mean, we, we start taking those games for granted, but the Chiefs are a very good team. They're still on the rise. And the Chargers, as we saw last year, made that late push. They're a very good team. 
really the only team that I'm not worried about is the Raiders. And then, of course, we have to go to New England once again. Every year, Broncos got to go to New England, and it never works out well for them. That's all I got to say about that. 12-4 and four for the Broncos, still going to win the AFC. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of uh, Broncos fans that are cringe right now, and even John Elway cringed himself with the fact of playing Andrew Luck and the fact that he had to play Seattle. Now you're playing in the NFC West where they play physical football and hope, hopefully those acquisitions they made this offseason would help them defensively more so than it did in the Super Bowl. Uh, let's bring in a guy who knows both football and basketball well. He covers the Atlanta Hawks and the Atlanta Falcons. Hans Heiser, thank you for joining the program. Hey, folks, what's going on, man? What's going on, Hines? Okay, listen. The 2014 schedule, you know, came out yesterday. And there's a couple of games when I look at the schedule that, you know, I circled as a fan immediately. Uh, one that comes directly to my attention, week three, Redskins, Eagles. I think they move, They should move that to a Monday night game. I want to see that game to see Deshaun Jackson against his old team. When you look at the Atlanta Falcons in their 2014 season, and look how they, they one year removed from being just a couple of games away from playing in the Super Bowl to just kind of a disappointing season last year. What, are the, what can we predict from this team 2014-2015 season? Nick, I think uh, they grossly overestimated some of their talent in the trenches on both sides of the ball, and that really showed itself uh, last year. I think that was the first um, – that was main – issue last year going on with the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, they were just getting pushed around. They couldn't protect the quarterback. And when Julio got hurt, uh, it really made them one-dimensional. Roddy White never missed a game in his life going into last season. And mm-hmm. I think that also kind of became a detriment because he kind of forced the issue, and he went out there and got hurt early in the season. And by the time he came back, Julio was gone, and the season just got away from him. But they, they, they addressed that in the off season. They brought in Asamoah, the guard from Kansas City. Scott Pioli, now part of the Falcons' front office. Of course, uh, 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 he came from uh, Kansas City, so they wanted to get tougher up front. Now they're solid in the middle. Uh, left tackle Sam Baker's been a problem for years. Uh, he was hurt last year, but tackle needs to be addressed. I expect that's where the Falcons go in the first round as they sit currently at number six. But, you know, a couple other things last year that, that just didn't go right with the Falcons was I think the Tony Gonzalez thing was more of a problem than it was anything else. Uh, during the offseason, a lot of these guys were looking around, going to OTAs, getting ready for a camp, and he wasn't there. You know, he didn't even participate in the preseason. Right. And I think that ruffled some players' friends. I mean, Nick, you tell me you played. Tell me if there was a guy who didn't have to – be included, Tony Gonzalez and the name and the accolades aside, there's got to be some animosity there to some extent. Am I just making this up? No, you're not. And and have a guy be a constant distraction, a la Brett Favre, we don't know if he's going to play, and maybe the team is now giving him a get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah, that could be... can cause a problem within the organization, and it probably did, and that probably led to the lack of chemistry that we saw last year with, with the offense. But when you look at the Falcons, they lose Thomas Deku, uh, but they add Mike Tyson. Wait, 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 wait. 
Wait, don't, don't say lose, Thomas <laughs> Well, you know, you have to admit, when he, when he was there, you know, he roamed the field and he made some great plays for him. So he's no longer there. He's in the Panthers uniform. But they, they add Mike Tice and Brian Cox. And I know, you know, Arthur Blank said last year that he felt that the team wasn't physical enough. So he adds two coaches that, that are physical in nature, especially when they coach and when they play, but how's that going to transfer and translate to the personnel they have on the field? Well, I was going to ask you the same thing. Because I mean, to me, it basically comes down to you need players. And, right. and I think Thomas Dimitrov has missed on a lot of guys over the years. Now, he's hit on a few, but he's missed on a lot of those four, fifth, sixth, seventh rounders that really provide depth to your team. And mm-hmm. you saw last year when Corey Beerman went down, Sean Weatherspoon went down, uh, William Moore missed some time. I mean, the, the lack of depth really showed some of the um, the weaknesses in, in these very previous draft class. But that's my question I was going to ask you. Can a guy like Brian Cox, as big as a blank hole as he can be, can he come in and all of a sudden just make everybody do a 180? Doesn't it come down to talent? Well, you know what? I played with Brian. He was a very physical guy on and off the field. But one thing in my playing career that a coach has always told me, and I've known this as a player, either a player has it or he doesn't. You can't beat it into him. You can't ingrain it into him. So it's going to be interesting to see how this dynamic works out as far as the team and those two coaches and being physical this year opposed to years past. Yeah. I, you know, we were talking – you know, water cooler stuff with all my buddies uh, back and forth at the station. Everybody here is pie in the sky, Jadavion Clowney, Khalil Mack, and I'll even throw Robinson in the mix, the big tackle out of Auburn, because I think he is a, a really special player. And, and Sammy Watkins obviously doesn't fit a need for this team, but I think those are the four legitimate can't-miss prospects in this draft. I think not only can't-miss, but potential all-pro players. And I don't no, let me have, my, sorry, go ahead. I don't think anybody's gonna be there when the Falcons pick at six. But just because you're there at six doesn't mean you're not gonna get great value. Um I've heard a couple of people say now that had um you know, Jake Matthews, the tackle out of A and M, of course the, the, the lineage that he has speaks for right. itself in the National Football League. And also the kid, uh, Jake Lewan out of Michigan. I heard that either one of them, I've heard several people say this, if they were in last year's draft, would have been number one over Jokel and Fisher. Wow. So you look at it that way, and the Falcons picking at six, it looks like they might have their choice of whichever one of those guys is still available. But they, you know, look, they, they went out, they got a defensive end. They went out, they got a nose tackle. You know, they, they've gone out and they've made, they got a right guard. They filled some big needs this offseason. The one that still hasn't been addressed is tackle, and that's because I know that that front office, is, they know sitting at six, they're sitting pretty, and they're going to have their choice of two of those guys. I don't think Robinson's going to be there, but I think Lawan and I think Jake Matthews are there, and they're both ready to play today, and that's what the Falcons need. Now, let me ask you this. There have been rumors flown around that the Falcons might consider trading up to that number one spot to take Clowney. Now, we all know the work that they've put in, their defensive line through the free agency right now, mostly Tyson Jackson. Do you think, like, give me, give me a number, a percentage of the chances that they might trade up to try and get Clowney. I understand tackle's more of a need, but we, we've seen them move up before a couple years ago to get Julio Jones. What are the chances of this happening? Because, in my opinion, I don't think the Texans necessarily want to stay at number one overall because I think their team needs 
life in a position that they could get a little bit later. So is that a chance, an opportunity for them, and is that something you think they should do? Uh, you know, I would say 10%. If that's the case, then they're really playing it close to the vest as far as, you know, what their intentions are with Clowney. Uh, I think because of that lack of depth that I that touched on that really reared its head last year uh, with the injuries for the Falcons, if they were to move up five spots to the number one overall pick, yeah, does Clowney fit an immediate need? Does he, does he want to play for the Falcons? He's openly said as much that he wants to play for the Atlanta Falcons. But you're talking about giving up, what, a second round, maybe next year's first round? I mean, who, who knows, you know, what Houston wants for that. And the Falcons just have way too many holes to fill. You know, you just um, – Nick was talking about Thomas Deku being gone, so you need to fill a void at safety. Steven Jackson is about as reliable as my cousin showing up for work on time as far as him being healthy. <laughs> I mean, really, they got a lot of holes that they need to fill. Pass rush is one of them. We talked about tackle. Uh, you know, now it looks like they're switching to a 3-4 scheme. They need another outside guy that can rush the passer. Uh, I would say it's more of a probability that they would trade back uh, as opposed to move up. Because, like I said, if there's one of those tackles that looks like they could fall to – Let's say seven or eight. You got Tampa Bay and Minnesota sitting at seven and eight. If there's a quarterback that they see that Minnesota sees that say they want Johnny football and they think that Tampa's going to take him at seven, God knows what they'd be willing to move up and get because they're trying to put butts in the seat at both of those stadiums. Um, right. I think the Falcons are in a good situation, and maybe Luan's still available at seven and eight. You could tack on a third round pick to add some of these, uh, you know, fill some of these holes. I think that's probably likely the more scenario as opposed to moving up for the number one overall pick. If you just joined us, we're talking to Hans Heiser. You know him in Atlanta. He covers Atlanta Hawks and the Falcons. He's been with certain uh, institutions as 790 Zone, Fox Sports South, and he knows his stuff. Let's switch to basketball just a little. I mean, there's a surprising eight seed down in Atlanta called the Atlanta Hawks. Surprisingly, comes out in the first game against the number one seed, Indiana Pacers, and just pretty much smacks them around. The, seed, the series is now even, Hans. Now they go to Atlanta. What can we expect from this team moving forward? One, and two, how is the fan base down there really accepting and embracing this kind of really all-inspired Hawks team? Well, there are very few true Hawks fans in the city of Atlanta. And it's weird because Atlanta is such a big basketball city. I mean, TNT, Turner's based here, so Barkley and Shaq and you know, Ernie and, and you know, all those guys live here. You see them around town. they got all the billboards for TNT. It's a huge NBA team, town, rather. And so, like, when Miami comes to town, hell, even the Knicks, you know, people want to see Melo or Kobe. You can't get a ticket to Phillips Arena because people are there to see the other team. Now, as far as the Hawks, they don't really have that guy. They haven't since Dominique Wilkins. And they traded him away. So some of that fan base is still a little bit sour over what happened. Uh, I, I don't expect it to be a sellout. I think that they're just thrilled that it's a new brand of basketball that's being played here in Atlanta. I'm one of those fans. So I, I can right. tell you what the, the thought process is, was, you know, this is a very weak Eastern Conference this year. We felt, uh, by keeping Kyle Korver in the mix, by adding Paul Millsap, by, uh, you know, extending Josh, or Jeff Teague's contract, rather, and having a healthy Al Horford, that was going to be good enough for a three or four seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, this is before Derrick Rose got home. Well, when D. Rose goes down, you start thinking, well, you know, we could play up there with the Pacers, and, and we're finding that out right now. It's a good matchup for the Hawks on paper and on the floor. But as far as selling tickets and getting people in the building, who's your guy? Paul Millsap, Paul Corver, 
So the right. fan base in the NBA is a star-driven league. The Hawks don't have it. But the true basketball fans here, guys, it's, it's not Josh Smith dribbling the ball at half court, throwing the ball off somebody's head. It's not Joe Johnson isolation shooting the ball off the corner of the backboard with the game on the line. It's not these same silly mistakes that we saw Larry Drew and Mike Woodson make year after year after year with these players. And it took Danny Ferry coming in. First thing it took was ownership saying, you know what, we don't know what the hell we're doing. Right. Let's get somebody in here that knows what they're doing. And thank God for Danny Ferry, who is seriously a miracle worker, for getting rid of Joe Johnson's contract, for getting rid of Marvin Williams, for finding a way to uh, talk ownership out of really the only star player you had in Josh Smith saying, look, this guy can't play. He might have all the athletic ability in the world, but he is a detriment to the team. See the Pistons this year, for, for God's right. sake. And it's just refreshing to see him move the ball down floor, set up, get this, a half-court offense, move the ball in and out of the post, and just see him play fundamental basketball. Now, you know, as far as the Pacers matchup goes, look, they got the 15th pick in the draft this year. We know the draft is loaded. They should get a pretty good player there. I think where they are in the process, they're probably not going to take a flyer like they have in years past on an 18, mm-hmm. 19, 20-year-old kid. Look for them to decide, you know, to go after somebody who's a junior or a senior who's got some experience at the college level, maybe even an international player, and take that San Antonio Spurs route. Don't forget, Budenholzer came over. He was Pop's assistant for 13 years. So that's kind of the, the, the blueprint that's been put in place here for the Atlanta Hawks. Anything on top of that, like taking this series to five games, much less six, or maybe even winning this thing, is great right. for Hawks fans. Well, tell me real quick, you know, five seconds. Can the, the Falcons get to the playoffs? Can they get back to that promised land? Yeah, I, I think they do this year. You know, their schedule sets up pretty well. They don't play the NFC West. Uh, Carolina, to me, has taken a tremendous step back by letting Steve Smith go. Uh, you know, Tampa's always a pain in the butt for them. I think New Orleans is a team that's on the way down. Uh, I really do. I, I think that they're going to be uh, the best team in the division this year. And, you know, I, he, he can't help but look at the schedule and go win-loss, loss-win, you know, whatever right, it is. Right. I got them going 10-6, and 11-5, and that's just assuming that everybody stays healthy. But if they address tackle and they get them a safety, uh, I expect the Falcons to be where they were a couple years ago. Well, there you heard it from the man himself covering the Hawks and the Atlanta Falcons. You can find him on Twitter at... Hans Heiser. Hans, thank you for joining the program, man. Look forward to talking to you during the season. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Anytime. And, and next time when we have a little bit more time, we got to get into that Colorado-Georgia Tech deal because, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's just laughable that you would even bring that up being a Tech, you know, a Tech hey, alumni and former player. I mean, I Colorado you. had the five downs, which they lost. Hey, man, I don't want to hear about that. A win is a win, and we still got a championship. All right, here we go. Here we go. Do you want me to bring up the Rocket Ishmael Phantom clipping call, too? Hey, man, you can bring up whatever you want. All I know is in 1990, the Bucs got a national championship. That's all that matters, baby. I'll tell you what, both of you guys hold that enthusiasm because next week we're going to have both Colorado guys and Georgia Tech guys on air with us to break that 1990 national championship game down and see who would have really won the game. Hans, thanks for joining the program. Right after the break, we'll be joined by Cameron Wise, uh, agent for Michael Sam, and get his predictions for where he sees his client going in 2014 draft. Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective. 
to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need a bitch's ass and then move oh, on. I just, and get I just ready think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickferkshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Always a great segment to have uh, Hans Heiser on the program giving his analysis on both the Hawks and Atlanta Falcons. But right now, we're going to move back to NFL and talk to Cameron Wise. Uh, Cameron, uh, thank you for joining the program. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Cameron, you know, of, of course, there's been a lot of talk uh, about early on about Michael Sam and uh, his life choices. And for me, my own personal opinion, I really don't care. All I want is a guy to come out and execute. But, you know, there have been a lot of guys that have come out that most people don't know. Wade Davis from Web- uh, Weber State and Akil Patterson from Maryland and Jason Collins for the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Uh, d- at any point, did you have Michael Sam or did he reach out on his own to these players to discuss you know, maybe the problems and solutions that they dealt with as professional athletes? Yeah, Mike's met all three of those guys. Uh, we spoke with Wade and Jason uh, in the days preceding his announcement, and, you know, we're able to get some good advice and get their perspective on, you know, what they, what they had gone through personally and uh, what they thought going forward. It was extremely helpful. Well, you know what? Here's one thing that I wondered. I mean, you have a lot of college athletes under your umbrella at uh, Empire Athletes. Uh, when you went out to, to talk to Michael Sam, because n- normally what happens is like speed dating, when agents try to go and talk to uh, uh, NFL prospects. What was that process like for you trying to tell Michael Sam, hey, this is the best fit for you and we can prepare you to where you need to be professionally in the NFL? Well, uh, I'm not sure if you guys know, but originally Mike had signed with another agent, and he was with him for like less than a week, basically, before calling us back and being like, you know, I made a mistake. I should have gone with you guys. Um, I think that the main thing for Mike is that, you know, we're young and hungry guys, and we're going to be able to give him a lot of personal attention. And I think what really set us apart is that before Mike even signed with us, uh, we put a plan together for him of all the steps that uh, we thought it was necessary for him to take to come out and He'll be able to tell his story and just be comfortable with who he is and, and get to, like you said, just executing on the football field. 
Now, let me ask you this, boss. As his agent, you're, you're building him up. You're trying to get him as high up in the draft as possible. Let us know right now what is the best thing. And I know there are a lot of great qualities about him on and off the field. But if you had to plug one thing about Michael Sam to really sell a team, like the deciding factor, what is it that he does best, whether it's on the field, off the field, in the huddle, any way you want to take that question? Well, I think when you're looking at on-the-field play, Mike's motor is really what sets him apart. The guy finishes plays, and that's not something you can test. It's not something that comes across in the combine. It's not something you can see on a pro day. If you watch his film, he is relentless at the point of attack, and he plays all four quarters. All you have to do is go look at the Cotton Bowl. He won that game for his team after you know not having a sack all game, just having a couple tackles. Uh, you know, He fought through at the point of attack, forced a fumble, which turned into a scoop, scoop and score. Uh, it couldn't right. be a more clutch play, and he, he was a leader all year for that team. Well, you know, early on, uh, you know, Cameron, we had uh, Coach Barry Switzer on the program. We asked him about predictions, and he said that he's not one of the type of the guys that make uh, predictions. But when you look at Michael Sam and you guys evaluate all 32 teams, have you guys sat down and discussed the possibility of what team is to be the best fit for him from, you know, his, his off-the-field life, but more importantly, what he does on the field and bring can bring to NFL team. We've had that discussion, you know, many times through this process, and uh, we've come to the, the same conclusion every time, and that's we're going to be ecstatic wherever Mike goes. And I know that's kind of a vanilla answer, but right. you have to understand that this guy has uh, come up his whole life, his dreams about playing in the NFL, not playing for one particular team or one particular scheme. He's just really anxious to take the next step that he's been waiting for and working for his whole life. So whatever team it is that calls his name, whether it be, you know, day one, two, or three, uh, it's going to be a life-changing moment for Mike, and we're all just going to be extremely elated. If you just joined the program, we're talking to uh, Cameron Wise of Empire Athletes and the representation for Michael Sam. So two weeks away from the draft, where will you guys be watching the draft and will Michael Sam be sitting right next to you? We're going to be having our draft party in San Diego, California, which is uh, where my partner and I both hail from, America's finest city. No offense to anyone out there. But uh, we are, we're going to be enjoying it there. Michael will be with us. Of course, you know we have other clients to tend to as well. So uh, we're going to be kind of all over the place, especially on day three. But uh, we will be with Mike and uh, we will be ready to celebrate afterwards. Well, Cameron, I don't know if you are a basketball fan, but we are in the midst of the NBA playoffs. Do you have a favorite team or player that you're rooting for right now? I know who I'm rooting against. That's the Clippers. I'm a Lakers <laughs> fan. so I'm not, <laughs> No, you know, I root for the underdog when my team's out of it, and I know you can't necessarily call them an underdog, but, you know, the Portland Trailblazers is a team that I've really enjoyed watching. Um, seeing LaMarcus Aldridge put up the last two games that he did, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, on, I'm kind of joining Blazer Nation right now. Well, we have about 10 seconds really quickly. If you can't explain why uh, L.A. fans hate the Clippers so much. Sorry, could you repeat that? I say explain to me really quickly why L.A. Lakers fans despise Clippers, the Clippers fans and the Clippers organization. They're sort of like that annoying little brother who just like always wants to tag along and play ball with you and hang out with your friends. And, you know, the, the one year that we're irrelevant, it's like, you know, they won't stop talking. But, you know, I, it's funny. When they were bad, I, I kind of rooted for them. And now that they've gotten good, they've become a thorn in their side a little bit. 
See, it's your fault. You sent him all that positive energy. And that <laughs> yeah, we let him share this the stadium with us. That was the end. <laughs> well, well, I tell you, uh, Cameron, thank you for joining the program. Give Michael our best and uh, good luck in the ne- upcoming weeks with the NFL draft. Uh, I'm hoping that he lands with a team that really looks at him as a player on the field other than what he considers his life choices to be because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. So good luck and thank you for joining the program. Really appreciate it, guys, and uh, thanks for having me on. All right, thank hey, our you. pleasure. God bless. Now, now I, I know we only have but so much time, Mario, and, and traditionally around this time we do our real, real uh, talk segment. But I have to throw, toss something out to you. I, I came across this, and I knew that you would love it. One, uh, Michael Jordan had his, uh, you know, Jordan brand, Jumpman brand, uh, I guess, marketing campaign in the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, and rap artist Macklemore performed, and, and Michael gave him a pair of this salmon-colored Jordans. I don't know if you've had a chance to see them, but, but is it a bad thing that Michael Jordan gave you this pair of salmon-colored shoes, or would you not take these salmon-colored shoes? Dude, this is it's a very weird thing to break down. But shoot, it was 99 cents. No, um, I don't know, man. If Michael Jordan gives me something, I feel like I would be absolutely honored. But here's the thing, Nick. You've got to figure that after all these years, after all the different kind of shoes, he's just running out of ideas. So maybe what? either, and, and I see it one or two ways, Nick. One, the more positive thing, is he's trying to be a trendsetter like he always has been, a trailblazer. He's trying to do these things that no one has ever done before. We're going to try salmon shoes, and that's going to catch on. That's going to be the next big thing. That's going to be the thing that supersedes YOLO and and Drake and whatever else. Or it could just be that he doesn't like Macklemore, but he's contractually obligated to do these shoes for him. So he's like, you know what? If I have to do shoes for Macklemore, who won these awards despite not being the best rapper out there, then I am going to make him a hideous pair of shoes, and he's going to be basically morally obligated to enjoy those shoes because, hey, I'm Michael Jordan, man. So those are the two scenarios, Nick, whether you're a fan of MJ or not, you can take it and run with either one. Well, I, I tell you what, something that you would definitely appreciate before we get out of here, the Washington Wizard are shocking. Joe Kim Noor, the defensive player that of the year and the Chicago Bulls with the 2-0 lead. Now, we know Nene from being a player with the Nuggets, but he oh, yeah. seemed like now he's being in Washington, he's playing a whole different brand of basketball. What's that about? Here's the thing, man. In Denver, we always knew Nene had a little bit of potential. We were like, this could be a 20-10 and 10 guy night in and night out if he just shows up. But, Nick, he started playing that turnstile defense, baby. He would just let people go right on by and ole like a bullfighter. Now, he's actually getting physical. He's showing a lot of ball out there, Nick. So what I will say is it's probably because he's finally comfortable in his own skin. You can tell that he didn't like Denver. He seemed exhausted by it. He got traded to Washington, and at that time, Washington was a bottom feeder. They were terrible. There was no signs looking up. They had John Wall, and it seemed like John Wall wanted out. Now the team is starting to come together, and they're playing with house money, Nick. They're, no one expects anything from the Wizards, so why not give them everything <laughs> that you've got? May, maybe something finally clicked, or maybe it's an anomaly. Maybe these next couple games, Joe Kim Noah's going to wake up because he underestimated him, 
showed him a little bit more than he thought, and he is just going to drive Nene into the ground. That's what I'm telling you, guaranteed, is going to happen. Bulls still win this series. Nene gets embarrassed by Noah this next couple games. Well, I don't know if he needs someone to kiss him like on the cheek like uh, the prince kissed Snow White to wake him up out of that sleep coma <laughs> that they seem to be in. But I tell you what, something has to happen. I take my hat off to the Trailblazers and also, you know, the Clippers, the Golden State Warriors, and the Washington Wizards. It's going to be a fantastic NBA playoff, so keep watching. I want to thank Justin on the board, my right-hand man, Mario Batanzi at Mile High sure. Mario. I am at Nick Ferguson underscore 25. My three amigos here, Barry Swisher, Hans Heiser, and Cameron Wise for joining the program. Stay solid, stay good, and go out and do something worthwhile for someone this weekend. Nick Ferguson, secondary perspective. And we go. We got it. Thanks again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week. 